Welcome back to another edition of Billy West Live. Once again, it's my great privilege to welcome State Senator Louis Bernard uh, to Billy West Live. Louis, great to have you. Thank you for being here. And let's talk a little politics and what's going on in the Senate. But thanks so much for joining us on Billy West Live. I wish I could have brought a little cooler weather, Billy. It's hot <laughs> out there. It's hot and getting, getting hotter. <laughs> yeah. We're just going to have to put up with it for a while. Louis, the big news announced a couple of weeks ago um, that you're not going to run for re-election. Uh, you're in your first term in the Senate. Um, rather unusual for a first-term senator not to run for re-election. Talk about your thought process and what led you to the decision not to seek re-election. Well, it, it, it is something that you would ask about because most of our experience with elected officials is they run for uh, the maximum that they can in that position and they may turn around and run for another house to be able to stay there too and then come back. Francis Thompson's been here 54 years, I believe. Right. Uh, but it, it's real simple, Billy. It's not complicated at all. I am uh, I'm 71 at the moment. I would be 77 at the end of another term of office. I've got four grandchildren now. Um, I'm sitting in that Senate chamber all during the spring with the two that I have in Baton Rouge playing baseball two miles away at the traction complex on Burbank. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've never left, never left the Senate to go watch the kids play. But it does when you get to my age, it does make you think about it. And, uh, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you a little quick little story that was very, uh, kind of hit our family in the face. My, my daughter's husband's father um, coached at LSU. He was the uh, offensive coach with Jerry DiNardo. And when DiNardo got let go, then so did Bob. And he went back to Indiana, coached there, and did some other work there. But he finally said, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to retire so we can both. His wife both decided to retire so they could go do things with the kids. Mm -hmm. So they could go on a vacation and not have to be back by two o'clock on a Wednesday for a meeting. So they did that, they retired in November and um, they went to the beach that Christmas right after that to celebrate. And then Gail and I got a phone call late at night on March the 9th asking if I would come and do the eulogy at his service right. in Indiana. And so it was it really was kind of a in your face kind of a thing uh, kind of a road to damascus moment for mm -hmm. us if you will and we talked about it the family talked about it and um, i just i've had the kids and the family not intentionally but that just goes with the territory i've had them in the rearview mirror ever since my police jury days would go out in the parish to meetings and talk about things meetings out in the parish and then 24 years as clerk going to every festival, every function that they had throughout the parish, and now six parishes uh, during the Senate term. So it was a, it was a wrestle. It was a, a difficult decision to make, uh, prayerfully arrived at, and uh, I, don't, I don't think uh, I'll look back and regret it. I have loved the Senate. It is everything that everyone told me it would be, and I didn't, there were no surprises because I had been down there a lot through the years, but um, I, I'm, I'm so thankful to the people that have let me serve in some form of public service these 44 years, Billy. I, I'll, I'll never be able to repay them for that, and I appreciate it. Well, I knew you'd been a public servant for over 40 years. I knew there had to be some deeply personal reasons for it. Um, and, and I appreciate you coming on the show to talk about that. 
but I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you a couple of questions. You know, you, you, you had a vote recently in the last two or three months that turned out to be very controversial. And I know a lot of your friends uh, have been on social media being very critical of that vote on the concealed carry. I'd like to give you an opportunity to talk about that. Your, your thought process, how you went about analyzing that issue, because I know you had some input and feedback from sheriffs and DAs about that, but this is a good opportunity for you to talk about your thought process and what finally led you yeah. to vote the way you did. Be glad to. You know, when it first came, at the end of a session, Billy, you know how bills are flying mm -hmm. through, they're trying to get through the session, and I voted for Senate Bill 118. But after that, the governor vetoed it. I'm short-tracking here, but the governor vetoed it, and it was the moment that he vetoed the bill, and we knew it was coming back for a veto session override, that law enforcement just started ringing my phone off the cut. Now, why they didn't before, I'm not sure, but after that, uh, they started ringing the phone off the wall, and they said, this subjects us to yet another layer of risk out there when we have to go out into the, into the public area, and they felt that it subjected them to another layer of risk. So uh, I said, if I'm not willing to put on the badge and the uniform and go out there with them, I need to listen to what they have to say. So I started calling a lot of them. And I want to make it clear, I'm not even remotely suggesting that every sheriff in the state and every law enforcement officer that I talked to said, yeah, Louie, you're right. But a bunch of them did. A ton of them did. And I just felt that, well, what am I asking here? I have been a proponent of the Second Amendment my whole career down there. You can go back and check the record. I voted for everything you could vote for for sure. the Second Amendment. But when you talk about concealing a weapon with, a, with zero training, right. with zero background check, given all that's happening in our society today, I just felt it was reasonable to say, absolutely, let's have an avenue for concealed carry but let's make sure that we have some kind of a background check. Now, if you were to go buy a gun to put in your, uh, to carry as a concealed weapon, as you know, you're gonna get a NICS background check automatically. Mm -hmm. But Billy, there are a ton of people out there who had pistols through the years sure. that they were given or whatever. There would be no background check for those persons. They would simply be able to go do it. And, right. and I, I believe that in our society today, we need to protect ourselves, and, and husbands and wives are concerned about that. Um, it's just that, and, I, and I'm for that. I, I just felt like there should be some, some amount of training involved so that you don't create a bad recipe for a, a, a situation where they pull a gun in a, in a public place. Well, and you, you get into the argument and the people who've been critical of that vote, almost an absolutist type argument. Either you're with me on the Second Amendment yeah. and every issue that goes along with it, or you actually read the Heller decision and you see that there are some avenues where legislative bodies and administrative bodies can limit, mm -hmm. like you can't own a bazooka. I mean, there are some mm -hmm. limitations to what private citizens uh, can own. Those are challenging things, but you as a representative of rural North Louisiana, it would be foolish, and I think probably against what you've already said, to take some position that's adverse to yeah. a, a, a right to own and, and protect yourself at home. But there are some reasonable arguments on the other side, which is I think what you're trying to explain. I think so too, and I want to say that I, I t nobody has more respect for the other side of the, the view that I'm that we're talking about, people are impassioned about this. Sure. They believe that the Constitution gives them the right to carry under all circumstances. And 
i'm i'm just not sure the founding fathers given today's environment if they saw everything going on today i'm not sure that even they wouldn't say let's 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 have some common sense here and some degree of but i'll tell you what bill is it's going to come back up in the next session for sure uh representative mccormick had a bill like that this year it was changed into a school safety bill that didn't get to the floor eventually but uh, there'll be that bill will come back next year and i invite uh, i'm always willing to sit down and talk with people about that and, and would like to do so as a matter of fact well, louis you mentioned the word a minute ago in your response to my question of reasonableness you know, unfortunately, in today's politics, nobody's really reasonable with each other. Nobody can compromise. Nobody wants to listen to the other side. Nobody wants to listen and have a debate about what you explained was the process you went through to reach your decision. But you've been roundly criticized in your district for that vote. Some of it's fair, probably, mm-hmm. but at the same time, there, there's an opposite side of the argument. As you said, you listen to some law enforcement, some sheriffs, some law enforcement officers but there's two sides of these arguments we no longer can we talk to each other well let me let me just tell you this if it as i said i voted for this bill during the regular session and it was only after the governor vetoed it right. and we knew that it possibly could come back that's when i began to hear from so many people and i i made a serious effort to contact not people just here but people all across the uh the state that I knew in law enforcement, I said, well, how do you feel about this? The Municipal Police Officers Association, uh, so many, the sheriffs never came out, as you know, as a group, right. but a lot of individual sheriffs said, hey, this is not a good idea. And what I hate most about it, Billy, I hate that, I, I like to be judged on the totality of my record, not an individual thing, but I hate for people to think that I'm not a pro Second Amendment person because of the concerns law enforcement expressed to me about this particular bill. Before we leave that issue, blunt question. Is that vote one of the reasons you're leaving the Senate? No, has nothing. Look, I knew exactly what I was getting into with that vote. Mm -hmm. Look, I've been all over the district. I've been visiting with folks, drinking coffee with them. I know how they feel. And uh, we had a we had a class in political science at Northwestern one year, and we said, "Is it the is it the responsibility of the elected official to vote his constituency, or is it the responsibility of the elected official to seek out as much information as he can find mm-hmm. and go back and visit with his constituency and try to say, hey, have y'all considered this? What do you think?'" But in, in this case, I, I respect their view. I completely respect it. I just think there's room for. A discussion about having a process to uh, have some kind of background check on individuals that would be carrying a concealed weapon. Well, I appreciate your response to the question. Wanted to give you an opportunity to discuss it. Let's talk about your your years in the Senate and your service. What are some things that you've accomplished, and what do you see as some positive things that are going on in Louisiana? Well, I, I think that. Uh, we, we, as you know, when you have a long affinity for the election process. Uh, and, and you understand that it has to be tweaked as we go along. And we've had we've sponsored a number of bills through the four years that help uh, uh, streamline that process and make it make it better. So we've done that. But uh, this last, uh, we always get bills. I'm on the insurance committee, so I always get insurance department bills that come through. Uh, this year, though, <clears throat> I was made aware of a, of a little nine-year-old girl, Ellie Hillman in Cushada. And she had an acute disease. She had Crohn's disease. And she had just 
uh, pain beyond belief for for weeks and weeks and weeks trying to get an okay from the insurance company to okay a drug that was making adults better mm -hmm. and but it wasn't technically uh, geared for a nine-year-old. Well, in a lot of research, and make a long story short, the FDA never intended to absolutely prohibit those kind of drugs for minors. There's just some steps you have to do, like a doctor explaining the background to the insurance company. Why is this necessary? Why are you doing this? Before, the insurance company just summarily said, no, we're not going to cover that. But after, uh, after visiting with Blue Cross and the insurance companies, we found out that this loophole is in there and the doctor came and testified, Ellie and her mom, Lauren, came to testify, and it was a very emotional thing. And mm -hmm. so I'm waiting for the governor to sign that bill. It passed almost unanimously in both House and Senate. So I'm, I think that's a good thing that'll help a lot of kids who are really Ill, acutely ill in the future. Well, those are good things and positive steps that, as a senator, you can take. But, you know, a lot of times legislation and the process is compared to sausage making. We all may like or dislike the end product, but we really don't want to know the process and how it's made. Uh, it, it is, and, and, it, and, it, and it evidences itself mostly uh, when the bill is uh, introduced and then it gets to committee. And it's just amazing what goes on in committee and the interests that are represented in the committee. And by the time it comes out, uh, you really say, is that the same bill that I was talking about? Right. <clears throat> and so you make a decision whether or not it's something that in the, in, in the whole scheme of things, uh, is it is it beneficial or have they gutted it to the point that, it, that it's not? And not everyone is gutted, but as you know, the amendment process, the committee process, generates a lot of changes to the bill, and it, it is a sausage-making uh, uh, process sometimes. And the bills are either killed most of the time in committee, to use that legislative mm -hmm. term, or they're amended where the original legislative purpose is almost mm -hmm. the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. And that's where the committee process becomes so important to the sausage-making. Yeah. One of the things, Billy, that I am... My mother was a teacher, my wife was a teacher, my daughter is a teacher in Baton Rouge. And I'm wondering where our teachers are coming from. We've got five, uh, 2,500 shortage of teachers, 2,500 teachers that were short right now across the state. And so we, this year in the legislature, we agreed to let teachers come back to teach math and science in those critical areas and not be penalized. They can do it, you know, right. with their salary and, and retirement. So that was that helped. We have begun pre-educator uh, pathways in school systems. We're now up to 50 of those across the state. And these are clubs where students take college teaching courses while they're still in high school. Right. So we're getting kind of a jump on them there. Um, we started the Go Teach Fund that allows us to provide scholarships to students above and beyond TOPS if they agree to teach in Louisiana for three years afterwards. So I talked to Kate Brumley about this in detail and. I'm concerned with the, you know, with the chairman of the our education committee. Everything we talk about in Louisiana, in the terms of economic development, right. infrastructure, workforce, safe communities, everything, uh, lower taxes, reasonable regulations, the primary focus of that whole list of things is education. Right. And if you don't have that, you can't go to the next step. So. Without teachers, with a growing shortage of teachers, 
certified teachers, we just, uh, to me, we're in a real crisis mode, and I hope that the next, this session focused on that, and I hope that the next session will also focus on doing something to bring that back. Well, we're fortunate to have a very pro-education governor in John Bell Edwards. He's been very pro-Northwestern State University. Uh, I, again, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about your, your thoughts about Northwestern. There's been some troubling reports recently about declining you know, enrollment at Northwestern, but what do you see in the near future for Northwestern I, State I think, University? I think it's going to be promising. I know Marcus Jones is doing every, Dr. Jones is doing everything that he possibly can. He's been proactive. He's hit the ground running. He's developed a great relationship with the students up there. And I think that's a problem that we've, you know, that, that is recognized in more universities than ours, for sure. But uh, we were able this, this term in capital outlay to bring back uh, funding for the Kaiser Hall. That's going to begin shortly. They were set and ready to go. We just needed the money and the budget to do it. So we have uh, about eight or nine million dollars there now that will get us through a 12-month construction cycle and then we'll bring money from P5 back in to continue funding it to completion. We also have the Health Performance Center down there where we would bring kids in to try to get them to go to Northwestern and uh, you know unfortunately some of the facilities down there were just uh, they, they had similar situations back in their high schools and so when you go to college you know you go into McNeese you go into uh, 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 USL, I, you can mm -hmm. tell where I, how old I am because I'm still calling it USL. <laughs> I do too, But yes. the Magnus and all these places, you know, they've got yeah. great facilities and kids are impressed and wowed by that and I think Northwestern deserves to be in that category and I think we'll get there. I hope so and obviously with Marcus Jones's leadership, there's a lot of challenge at Northwestern but hopefully with other good legislative leadership moving forward, uh, Northwestern will continue to flourish. Now, I, I got to ask you this question because I know how passionate you've been about this for years, and that's the election system. And I just have to ask you, I mean, with the attacks on the election integrity system, not only in Louisiana, but around the country, you have been a passionate advocate for the commissioners, the commissioners in charge, and the integrity of the election process in Louisiana for 30 years. Louis, it's under attack. What do we do to protect it? It, it breaks my heart to see the, the, what I always call uh, the unsung heroes of our election process or the people that go out there and get there at 5.30 in the morning and stay there until 9 o'clock at night all day, can't leave. And they do that, but they're not going to settle their financial situation by $200 a day that they get for it. But they do it because it's a sense of pride that they go and, and conduct that process with, and I'm so proud of them, and I know how hard they work. So I never bought into the to the things they were talking about across the country. I don't know. It's interesting to me that in 65 court cases, not one was found to have any merit, and I think that speaks to some degree about the validity of of the charges of. Uh, uh, of improper elections. I know what we, the clerks of court in Louisiana, did to ensure integrity in our election process, and uh, I was proud of that. And I don't know how many meetings we used to have with the candidates themselves so right. that they would know what to expect on election day. We invited every one of them to the warehouse to count the votes and sure. open the machines after the uh, on the uh, after the election was over on Tuesday. So. You know, we just did a lot of things to try to help ensure the uh, a transparency with the public that they believed in the system, and I think they did. And then uh, all this came along, and I think we're having to uh, try to fight to restore confidence in the system. It's at the literal core of our democracy, and this has to stop. 
uh, these things that are being said about good people who have integrity, these attacks have to stop. Uh, it's just is a core basic uh, to well, know, you know, know, we're not saying we're certainly not saying that as long as human beings run elections, of there course. can be a mistake. I'm sure. not talking about that, but the the wide, broad brush of fraud and corruption and conspiracy to commit that uh, is just not happened in Louisiana, and and that's no. the state that I know the most about. Well, and, and attacking the integrity of the system is dangerous in my view, and I wanted to get your thoughts because I know how passionate you are about the election and integrity system. you don't want system. a system to evolve right. where if you lose an election, then somebody cheated. No. Uh, somebody did something wrong, or I wouldn't have lost the election. I, th I think you have to be willing to accept the results of the election, and past those those incidences that may happen from time to time that you wish didn't happen uh, on a broad scale I think I think they do elections well in Louisiana. I, I think they do them well all over the country and you know if you accept the election results in certain races on the same ballot and not others that's uh, illogical to me and, and disingenuous but Louis as now a retiring state senator retiring public servant I, I assume you're not going to run for anything else in your life but you have been a wonderful public servant. You're a, a, just a wonderful human being, and you've done great things for Natchitoches Parish. You did great things for this uh, Senate district. Uh, I want to thank you for your service, and I just want you to know there are a lot of people that know your heart and your mind, and, and your commitment was in the right place for the right reasons. And I appreciate you. I really, I really appreciate that. And uh, you don't go out and do that for accolades, but, but. Uh, it is nice for people to recognize that you did your best, and uh, and and I recognize the right of the people to have differing opinions from time to time, and I don't consider that a, 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 a swipe at me at all. I mean, they have a right to, to be discontented with government. Uh, the thing that I'm most go to bed every night with and wake up every morning is our infrastructure, is roads. People, right. we will, we don't have in place yet something that's going to fix our road problem. And we need, that's a huge part of the economy. It's a huge part of our economic development. Sure it is. We, we set aside $300 million in the sale of vehicle taxes to uh, start chipping away at that. But the state itself has a $14 billion backlog. They're not coming to do parish projects because they've got so much of their own to do. So, anyway, a lot of infrastructure projects that you're aware of, the Mississippi River Bridge, the Lake Charles Bridge, the commuter rail, uh, I-49 South, uh, yes, some immense, of those big things. Immense infrastructure challenges yeah. that, that can really promote uh, economic development, as mm -hmm. you say, throughout Louisiana. But, Louis, those are issues we can spend a whole other program on. We'll have you back. Uh, we'll, Love to. We'll, we'll get you back on to discuss other developments. We'll see how the veto session goes with the congressional maps. We'll have you back on to discuss those things. But uh, Louis Bernard, State Senator, District 31, it's always a great pleasure to welcome you to Billy West Live. My pleasure, Billy. Thank you for letting me come. Thank you, Senator Bernard. Billy West Live.